ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय I don't need it. I just want to. <laughs> so we are reading uh, verse twenty-one of chapter twenty-five, canto number four. And like I said in my email, I I hope to go through some of these quite quickly because it actually uh, to catch the flow, but also because Narada also kind of revisits all these in the future chapters. So especially the latter part of the chapter, we'll probably be reading a lot of verses. So he, Narada Muni is continuing. I mean, he's such a compassionate Vaishnava that he's continuing to, um, you, you know, go through this elaborate, elaborate uh, analogy, metaphor uh, of uh, King Paranjan to teach King Prachinibarhi. It's quite amazing. The woman was protected on all sides by, the fi- by a five-headed snake. She was very beautiful and young, and she appeared very anxious to find a suitable husband. And the purport Prabhupada talks about how the five-footed snake, he says the vital force of a living entity includes the five kinds of air working within the body, which are known as prana, apana, vyana, samana, and udhana. So the, the uh, protected on all sides by the five-hooded snake is the five uh, life heirs. And so just so we get a little information on the life heirs, uh, <clears throat> I'll just read a little something here. Um, at its heart, hatha yoga is more than just flexibility or strength in postures. It is the management, this is not from the purport, it's the management of prana, the vital life force that animates all levels of beings. Prana enables the body to move and the mind to think. It is the intelligence that coordinates our senses and the perceptible manifestation of our higher selves. By becoming more attentive to prana uh, and embracing, uh, this is from a Hatha Yogi, and embracing and directing its flow through the practice of Hatha Yoga, we can invigorate the body and mind. Uh, So the yoga tradition describes five movements or functions of prana known as vayus, literally means winds. So pranavayu, um, like we just said, these five values govern different areas of the body and different physical and subtle activities. When they're functioning harmoniously, they assure the health and vitality of the body and mind. So uh, prana, the area of the body is the chest and the head, and it governs intake, inspiration, and forward movement. Apana is the pelvis, it governs uh, elimination, downward and outward movement. Samana is uh, the navel, uh, g- governing uh, assimilation, discernment, inner absorption, consolidation. Udhana, the throat, and it governs growth, speech, expression, ascension, upward movement. And finally, Vajana, the whole body, governs circulation on all levels, expansiveness and pervasiveness. So there's, the point is that uh, you know, these, these, these are real things. 
different life heirs. Uh, and it's a science that we don't focus on so much in the practice of bhakti yoga, but it's too, something to be aware of. It's mentioned here. It's mentioned in various parts of the Vedic literature. So the vital force, Prabhupada says, of living entity includes these five kinds of air working within the body. And we just gave a little detail. Uh, and a little further down, Prabhupada says, the woman who represents intelligence was searching after a husband, and the husband represents consciousness. Okay. So, um, so Prabhupada talks about this uh, in a lecture in Bombay. He talks about... Um, the four subtle senses. So he talks about not just three. We talk usually mind, intelligence, and ego. So here he also includes the chitta. Uh, the four subtle senses, mana, mind, buddhi, intelligence, ahankar, false ego, and chitta, consciousness. So when the consciousness is materially absorbed, then there is fear. And when the consciousness is pure, it means Krishna consciousness. So... The, it's explained elsewhere that the seed of bhakti, the bhakti lata bij, has to be planted deep within the antakarna, which is the, uh, the subtle body. Okay? And uh, there's these four levels to the subtle body, right? The, the, the mind is sometimes called the reflective mind. Then the intelligence is called, I'm sorry, the mind is called the reactive mind. The intelligence is sometimes called the reflective mind. Uh, chitta is sometimes called the subconscious mind and uh, ahankar is called the feeling of identity. So when we connect these different things to bhakti, the idea is that um, we, have, we, we, we are instructed or we are, it is suggested for our own welfare that our do devotion goes deep. Not just going through the motions, which is better than nothing, but really having it affect our true understanding of who we are, that we are small servants of Krishna, and that Krishna is the supreme, unlimited, most beautiful, etc. And the more that we're fixed in that consciousness, the more, and the more deeper it goes into these different levels <coughs> of our consciousness, uh, ultimately to affect our identity, that we really think when we wake up in the morning, when we go to sleep at night throughout the day, <clears throat> I am Krishna's servant. And we act in that consciousness. And that's not so easy to do, but it is the, uh, in one sense, it's the goal of, of all of our practices ultimately to always remember to Krishna and never forget him. What does that mean to remember him and never forget him? It, part of it means, what, uh, and the main part of it perhaps, is our relationship with Krishna. It's not just remembering Krishna like, you know, like he's a painting on the wall or something. <clears throat> We're remembering Krishna and our relationship with him as one of service. So we may, you know, and we may theoretically understand our relationship in terms of Sanbanda Gyan, and then when we act on it, <clears throat> the abhideya, the actions of acting on that relationship ultimately yields the goal of that relationship, uh, prema bhakti. So some thoughts on that? Yes, Andy, we have a microphone? Yeah, 
Yeah, I think there was one extra consciousness in there. You were going through all the different ones. And then you got the Krishna consciousness, but that's a separate consciousness, or is, is well, that part um, of one of no. the? Well, um, no. We call it, we said mana, buddhir, chitta, and ahankar. And uh, <clears throat> all of them can be in material consciousness, and all of them can be in spiritual consciousness. Yeah, our mind, we can use our mind. If we start thinking about Krishna, right? We use our intelligence and in how to, uh, how to make, uh, help ourselves be Krishna conscious, how to help others be Krishna conscious. We use our, our chitta, our, uh, our how, do we, how do we be subconscious mind, ultimately, eventually, and always thinking, you know, even in our sleep, and our hankara in, uh, <coughs> becomes our real, not false ego, becomes our real identity as Krishna's servant. But also, all of them can be used in uh, Maya consciousness. Uh, it can be uh, Sambandha or Maya Bandha. Right? Sambandha means, when properly understood, it's our fixing our relationship with Krishna. And Maya Bandha means when we're fixing our relationship with the illusion. And most people in the world are quite fixed in their relationship with the illusion. And that's why it behooves us to try to share Krishna consciousness with others. It's funny how people are certain about their Maya consciousness, yeah. but they're uncertain about God. But they're yes. uncertain that, you know, I have these certain habits and certain faults. I'm very certain about that, but I'm very uncertain about the other thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, and there's different levels of that. <clears throat> On one level, we can kind of understand, right? Because... Because... It's kind of like, uh, that's real, you know, I, you know, I make this money, I buy this car, the car is real, I, my favorite sports team is real, my favorite music I can, is real, and God, you know, <clears throat> so on that level, but then also on the uh, existential level, right, that we've consciously turned our back on God, uh, Krishna Bhuli Sejiv Anadhir Bahirmukh, that from time immemorial we've Turn that back on Krishna. And so, and therefore, all these distractions are coming because we want them to come. So that's on the existential level, then on the actual practical. We want the existential impacts the practical. And then we get, as we've talked about so many times, we get, uh, we just get absorbed in all, not all, but in our choice. <laughs> of the various distractions of this world that distract us from the only purpose of this world. Uh, one of the, Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about uh, the, these three things, and one of them was, I mentioned already, the identity, that I'm a small soul, and Krishna is the most wonderful, unlimited Supreme Lord. But one thing he says is that another meditation for the aspiring devotee is that the only purpose of this world is to give conditioned souls a chance to revive their relationship with Krishna. Now we think there's so many other purposes. Um, but when you think about it, honest, you know, again, through the eyes of scriptures, through the eyes of Bhagavad Gita, then it lo does look different, right? Because you think everything else is temporary. It comes and it goes. You know? Uh, it comes and it goes, right? You know, we... The things that we remember as a child, you know, or growing up the news or the music or the sports or the movies, 
you know, uh, our children look at it and say, God, that was so old, so ancient, right? And then when, their children, when they're older and their children, their children will say the same thing. Well, it's so old because of the time factor. But, Krish, but when you think about it, who is the person who we had as a friend when we were one, when we were in the womb of our mother, when we were in another birth? Who is the one constant friend? Suritam Sarvabhutanam. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah. Answer your question. Probably more than you bargained for. <clears throat> Other questions or comments? Okay. So let's uh, move on. 22. The woman's nose, teeth, and forehead were all very beautiful. Her ears were equally very beautiful and were bedecked with dazzling earrings. The waist and hips of the woman were very beautiful. She was dressed in a yellow sari with a golden belt. While she walked, her ankle bells rang. She appeared exactly like a denizen of the heavens. And Prabhupada writes that this verse expresses the joyfulness of the mind uh, in material consciousness. With the end of her sari, the woman was trying to cover her breasts, which were equally round and well-placed side by side. She again and again tried to cover them out of shyness while she walked exactly like a great elephant. So remember, this is still um, uh, dealing with the analogy. or the Is it an analogy? Is it a metaphor? What is it? Yeah, allegory. 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 Yeah, I think that's what it is, an allegory. Maybe you can look it up, allegory. Specifically the allegory. Okay, we'll go with allegory unless you protest. Okay, that's what I was looking for. So let's talk a little bit about some you know, uh, heavy thing in the purport. We can't hide it and shouldn't be. But it is, remember that this is a Sankaracharya who's an impersonalist, right, obviously. He says, the great saint Sankaracharya has described the breasts of a woman, especially a young woman, as nothing but a combination of muscles and blood. So one should not be attracted by the illusory energy of raised breasts with nipples. So then Prabhupada talks about the one way really to become free from the attractions of this world. And he says, since I, and this he's quoting, uh, what is it, Arjunacharya? Yamunacharya. Since I have been engaged in the transcendental loving service of Krishna, realizing ever new pleasures in him, so getting that higher taste, when I think of sex pleasure, I spit at the thought, probably just say spite. Translating a spit. <laughs> And my lips curl with distaste. When one, is, uh, when one is spiritually advanced, he can no longer be attracted by the lumps of flesh and blood, which are the breasts of young women. So that's the essence of this purport. That really, the way, uh, and we've talked about this so often, but you can't, you, can't un, you can't not say it enough. You can't say it enough. You can't say it enough, right? That the uh, Maya, in all of her different manifestations, the only real way to become free is to uh, grab hold of Krishna's lotus feet. To, and, and here it says, realizing ever new pleasure in him. And actually having the experience, not just intellectual only goes so far. Right? But beyond that, actually having the experience of the joy of having that relationship with Krishna. And attaining the mercy of Srimati Radharani through devotional service, then just, you know, we, we, devote, we can have, maybe not on the same level as Yamunacharya, 
But we, ha we can have that experience. We can have it in a minute, just picking up our japa beads and chanting with uh, devotion and attention. We, we can get that experience. So it's not some far-off experience. It's something that can be had by Krishna's mercy uh, at any time. <clears throat> Prabhupada continues the word, Niguhantim, uh, trying to cover, indicates that even if one is tainted by kam, lob, kroda, what does that mean, kam? Lust, loba, greed, krodha, anger, etc. What does etc. mean? No. Uh, they can be transfigured. Tra here's the point again. They can be transfigured, transfigured by Krishna consciousness. In other words, one can utilize kam, lust for serving Krishna. Being impelled by lust, an ordinary worker will work hard day and night. Similarly, a devotee can work hard day and night to satisfy Krishna. So it reminds me a little bit of that, uh, of uh, Aikido. Anyone know the, the uh, martial art of Aikido? It's when a person's attacking you, you use that energy kind of against them or to your, you channel that energy. So here probably uses the word transfigured by Krishna conscious. So the lust that we have for the external world that, and that greed, I really, really want, that can be re-channeled towards really wanting to serve Krishna, towards wanting, instead of wanting to play, uh, please our senses, to wanting to please Krishna's senses. So we can, we can transform that. And that's what's being explained in this purport. So some thoughts on that. I think of transformations. Yeah? Yeah. He was absolutely correct. It is allegory. It's allegory. Right. I, yeah. Okay, it's good. Allegory. So if I ever say metaphor or analogy, please correct me. Mm -hmm. It's an allegory. Right. What does allegory mean? Do you uh, look it up? Using, uh, it is a type of metaphor where the symbolism, it's a symbolism for moral things. Uh-huh or godly things. And that's what we're hearing here. Yes. Okay. Pretty good. Um, what else? Okay. Anything else on this? It's an important, it's, you know, we can't, we say it so often, but it's such an important point that the only way to become free from Maya's clutches is to take shelter of Krishna. Or as Prabhupada once said, you know, what does he say? Like, just hold on to my dhoti and I'll drag you back to Godhead. Right. I did have something in mind now. Yes. Like, like when you look at Prabhupada, uh, he talks about, he's obviously very advanced. Right. And we, you, you're using the word practical, but to him that becomes practical. He'll say, this is fact, right? And, and in other words, he's, and, he's, and he even has said, uh, anything else you do is a waste of time. Right. And it's a, complete fact to him because he's so advanced that it's his practicality is the spiritual exactly and everything else that's is a very a nice realization yeah. yes yes and sometimes therefore his strong words um, should be taken because he's looking through the lens of eternity Right, and so when he says, you know, what, 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 you know, Shama Eva he kevalam, the Bhagavatam says, a waste of time. Dharma svanistita pungsam vishvaksena katasuya. 
No pariyati katim katim shama evi. And if anything other than uh, hearing and chanting about Krishna is a waste of time, <clears throat> from the uh, from the point of eternity, it's so true. And we struggle with the point of eternity for good reasons, in the sense that we are dealing with the here and now all the time. That's why I remember I told you I wanted to write a book in my retirement. Uh, Life is short, but the days are long. That's the title. Uh, that life is short and therefore have the eye of eternity. And the days are long means we also have to deal with the comings and goings of this world. Right? And Prabhupada did that, but he just never lost sight. So even when he was negotiating prices for printing the Bhagavad Gita, he was dealing with this world and printers and prices and shipping and all that. Yet he had the ability to always have his eye on the goal. Right? You know that story, right? Um, it's such a nice story in the, Maha, in the Mahabharata. That, you know, uh, Dronacharya puts this wooden bird up in a tree, right? And uh, he wants to test his disciples. And, uh, you know, the, the different Pandavas and Korvas, you know, he, he says, okay, take aim. I want you to hit the eye of the bird. And he asks them, what do you see? Right? Oh, well, I see the tree, I see the leaves, I see the whole bird, and I see the eye of the bird. He says, no, don't shoot. And he goes through different, uh, like that. And then finally he asks Arjuna, what do you see? And Arjuna says, I, I see the eye of the bird. What else do you see? I do not see anything else. He says, okay, take aim and fire. So that kind of... Vyavisatya mikabudhir ekeha. That's the kind of consciousness Prabhupada had. Of course, he's coming from the spiritual world down. We're coming from the material world up. <laughs> so it's, uh, in one sense, it's natural for him. Um, but that's the kind of consciousness he had, yes. Other thoughts? Okay. Well, in that case, we'll continue. Paranjana, the hero, became attracted by the eyebrows and smiling face of the very beautiful girl and was immediately pierced by the arrows of her lusty desires. When she smiled shyly, he looked, she looked very beautiful to Paranjana, who, although a hero, uh, could not refrain from addressing her. Prabhupada writes in the purport, Every living entity has the freedom to be attracted by material nature or to stand as a hero and resist that attraction. It is simply a question of the living entities being attracted or not being attracted. There is no question of his being forced to come in contact with material energy. One who can keep himself steady and resist the attraction of the material nature is certainly a hero and deserves to be called a Goswami. So the interesting thing here is the way we might define hero. Now, of course... Hero in a Chatriya sense, like King Brunjan, is one thing, but to actually not be attracted to the to uh, Maya, material energy, be that kind of hero. It's funny, right? It takes incredible amount of humility. We don't usually think of heroes as humble, right? They usually have their chests out, and they're big and strong, right? But the hero of a Vaishnava is taking shelter of Krishna, knowing I don't have the strength, Krishna has the strength. So 
when I saw that word hero, it reminded me of that poem by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. I won't read the whole thing. But, Saragrahi uh, Vaishnava. So push thy onward march, O soul, against an evil deed that stands with soldiers, hate and lust, a hero be indeed. Maintain thy post in spirit world as firmly as you can. Let never matter push thee down, O stand, heroic man. O Saragrahi Vaishnav soul, thou art an angel fair. Lead, lead me on to Brindaban, and spirit's power declare. There rests my soul from matter free upon my lover's arms. Eternal peace and spirit's love are all, are all my chanting charms. So here he's talking about being a hero. He's even using the kind of military metaphor, right? Soldier um, that stands with soldiers' hate and lust, the hero be indeed. Maintain thy post, you know, a post in this, like, like in a position, right? In spirit world, as firmly as you can. Let never matter, push thy, thee down, O stand heroic man. But then, how did, but then you, but then the metaphor kind of, I'm using metaphor right this time, uh, I think, it, the, the imagery changes, right? Because the soldier, and then he says, they rest my soul from matter free upon my lover's arms. That doesn't sound so country-like, right? Eternal peace and spirit's love are all my chanting charms. So he's talking about now, how to become that hero? Developing a love for Krishna, taking shelter of Krishna, feeling his loving embrace. So it's not just a macho thing. It's not just a chatriya thing. It's a Vaishnava thing. Now a Vaishnava, the, and the really interesting thing about a Vaishnava is externally a Vaishnava can be very forceful, right? You know, very strong in there speaking about Krishna and, and cutting through maya sometimes. But internally they're, they're so humble. And humble means, we, we, it's really important that we define the word humble, it means taking shelter. It doesn't mean walking around all day saying, I'm lower than the worm in stool, you know, and all that. But it means actually taking, understanding that in my relationship to Krishna, I'm his eternal uh, servant. So it, I, I think this is a great juxtaposition here, talking about hero twice. And then what does it mean in my lover's arms, meaning Krishna's arms? Uh, and uh, by chanting, all my chanting charms. Such a beautiful writing by Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. So some thoughts on heroism and taking shelter of Krishna. Yes, Nandamoki, a microphone for Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. I feel like um, um, the very um, distinguished difference between a material consciousness and Krishna consciousness that the former have this um, sense of false possessiveness and false pride. False pride? Pride. Yes. And uh, that is what uh, kind of here uh, stop, stops us from um, recognizing Krishna as a place for shelter. Mm. Ah, that's nice. So, yeah, so when we're in Maya consciousness, it, one of the 
I really like that point. It's like one of the greatest effects that Maya has on us is we don't see Krishna as a real plausible shelter. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's even stronger in one sense than just being absorbed in movies or sports or this or that. But actually, and that's interesting you say that because let me see if I can find it really quickly because it comes up um, a little later. Just what you're saying. Let me see if I can find that quote. Oh, well, here specifically, but uh, this one who takes sex life to be the supreme, right, finds action in Krishna consciousness confusing. And that's kind of what you're saying. It's connected to what you're saying. One who's absorbed in material consciousness. Uh, I hear Prabhupada says he sees Krishna, he or she sees Krishna consciousness as confusing. What was the word you used? That impract, what was it? That not practical? Is that the word you used? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so similar point that Prabhupada is making there. Um, and that, again, that, to repeat, that might be the worst part of Maya's uh, influence on us. Other thoughts? Microphone? Use it like a karaoke, yeah. So you gotta turn it on also. You have to press that, like, yeah, there we go. Uh, I think of uh, Jada Bharata. Yeah? He was like a, like a deer and then a man and he still somehow stayed away from all the, all the traps that, right. that were there. Over like almost two lifetimes, which is something, uh, I, mean, I, I don't know. Well, there's so many, you're right, there's so many instructions in the life of Jada Bharata. <clears throat> One was getting distracted, right? Even with se seemingly kind of, in the beginning, kind of nice, he's being nice to a deer, a fawn, and then getting really distracted from that, right? Just like, wow. Uh, and then being so careful as Jada Bharata, Right? He was the most brilliant person, but he acted as if he was dumb. Now, we may not do that. That may not be practical to avoid social intercourse in this world. We just act like you know we don't know English or something like that. Uh, <clears throat> but we can, we can learn. You know, in many things in the scriptures that happened thousands, if not millions of years ago, we can try to grab the essence of it, even if we can't follow the exact example, right? So, so we can learn from Judbhart the uh, the need for being careful about uh, mundane association and being fixed. He was so fixed, right? He didn't he didn't let he didn't let anyone realize his where he was really at spiritually until he found uh, King Rahugana to be a, uh, a proper recipient of his uh, spiritual consciousness. Yeah. Good. Jiva, you had your hand up? Jiva Taparu? Hare Krishna. So, yes, and Jesus Christ said about this as well, that meek and humble to that person, you know, that person can approach God. I'm trying to find a specific quote for that, but yeah, it's always expressed. And how do we see Narad Muni? 
He always appears as meek and humble. No matter where he appears, he is, you know, asking questions, but he's as always asking in a very pleasing mood. Even as a, you know, spiritual master, when he's asking Dhruva, he's giving him suggestions, not directing him. And then he gives the lessons when he realizes that the student is ready. This is somewhat similar. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Not that literally being rich is necessary because we uh, see examples in the Shastra of very rich people being Krishna God conscious, but the point is that it can be such an easy distraction. Right? right? Because you can really convince yourselves that every, it's pretty cool in this world. Right? So it's, 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 it's one of those tricky things because we can understand that if you get enamored by opulence, right? And at the same time, one who is taken to Krishna consciousness, taken to a spiritual path, suchinam shimmatam gehe yogo brashtam vijayate, that uh, in your next life, you take off from your previous life and you're either, sometimes born in a very spiritual family or a well-to-do family. The idea of a well-to-do family is you don't have to work so hard, you can spend more of your energy on spiritual practices. You don't have to worry about, you know, where your next chapati is coming from. Or, or if you're from South India, your next uh, dosha. <laughs> or something like that. Yes, microphone? I was remembering the verse from Kunti Devi, Janmeshwaya Shuti Shabir. Those who are materially exhausted can easily approach you, but those who are after material opulence or beauty or prestige, right. and that's they cannot approach you. Word you said them. after, mm -hmm. yeah, right. Yes, so that's another way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. But you never know with a Vaishnava, right? Um, was it Pundari Vijayaniti, right? Gadadhar went to see. Sri Gadadhar Pandit went to see Pandurikvidiniti because Lord Chaitanya told him to, right? Mukunda took him. Yeah. And he just said, oh, well, I'm not interested in this person. They're just a, just a materialistic person, just, you know, someone put popping grapes into his mouth, like fanning him and this and that. And Mukunda, what, Mukunda was the one who said, no, just quote one, just one Srimad. Yeah, just quote one Srimad Bhagavatam verse, see what happens, and then. Pandurik Vijayaniti exhibits all kinds of ecstasy after hearing the Bhagavatam verse. So you can't also judge a book by its cover. Even in our movement, you know, devotees like Ambarish Prabhu are very exalted Vaishnavas, even though he comes from such a famous family. Yeah, Gadadhar Pandit accepts Pandurik Vijayaniti as his guru. But still, that quote is there, so thank you for that. And thank you for the uh, Queen Kunti quote. <clears throat> Mataji is our resident pundit. Anything else? All right, let's carry on. Oh, did you, did you have your hand up? Yes, microphone. We use the microphone because a lot of people listen to the lectures afterwards. I mean, a lot, a few hundred. Not like half of DC or something. So. What is illusion? Is Maya illusion? Well, Maya is a name for illusion. <clears throat> the word Maya can have different meanings, just like so many things, right? Maya can also mean mercy. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> but the uh, illusion is accepting something 
as real when it's temporary. That's one definition, right? So, uh, for example, this body is is real, right? I mean, I have my, moving my ten fingers right now, but it, the Maya is when I think this is me, because my body has changed so many times in this life, right? When I was just a baby in my mom's arms, and uh, when I was off to college, and when I was, you know, getting the first job, and now getting close to retirement, you know, the body has constantly changed, but I remain the same. So thinking, identifying the body as a self is the illusion and the reality is that I'm a soul and Krishna is part and parcel. So, so the uh, illusion is thinking something temporary as having uh, being part of ultimate reality. Does that help? A little bit, yeah. But what else? Did you want to add something to that question? Maybe a follow-up question. So, yeah, I, my body is continuously changing from right, right from my birth to my death. Uh -huh. And, yeah, it is I am the constant. Yes. Or, uh, but at the same time, even my thought process are even I am changing, right? Correct. Yeah, even your thought when process are changing. When I was born, I don't know anything. Or at least I was not in conscious state of mind. You couldn't uh, program computers when you were five years old? Yeah. <laughs> But now I could do many things. I can think. Uh, I can. I, I. I can think that I can do many things. Correct. But even that is what I am doing, right? It may not be the me, but I am doing it. Mm -hmm. So yes. So so you're right. So you can. You, what you're saying is that your mind also changes. Right. Your body is changing, and your mind changes, and your intelligence changes. Right. Because like like you said, you couldn't do calculus when you were in your in your mom's arms. And now you can, you can. So what remains the same? Because even even your mind changes, even your abilities change. Yeah, and if let's say we get dementia at the end of our life, then our mind changes again. But the thing that actually remains the same is the soul. And then the soul uses this body and does things in this life based on our desire. Is that okay? Not not a hundred percent. Not hundred percent. I mean, I should know better by experience, I don't know. No, no, but you, you, if you have any other questions? Uh, no. Okay, so we'll continue, but if you have questions, feel free. It's a uh, it's very open forum. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's move on. Oh, yes. In the Katho Upanishad, uh, which uh, Prabhupada also quotes in one of his uh, Gita's purports about the soul being the person sitting in the chariot, right. the intelligence being the body, I mean the bo chariot being the body, the souls being the passenger, uh, the mind uh, acting as uh, the, the ruler of the strings, which are uh -huh. the senses, uh, and the intelligence guiding uh, the mind. And the horse and is going on different directions they are, yeah, they are the, the senses. senses. Yes. So that probably helps understand that your mind, intelligence, and other things are just a way to assist your soul in leading life uh, in this body. Uh, so, if the intelligence turns towards uh, God, then it will automatically lead the soul in the right uh -huh. direction, even though the horses are trying to go astray. 
the intelligence has the strength uh, to pull it back. But if uh, the intelligence is diverted away from God, then um, the horses will go in whatever direction. Your mind will also, like your mind is a charioteer. So he will like just, okay, go in this direction. He will just not do as well. I mean, the control will not be very great. And so you'll lead us, get astray. So, so as you develop your mind and intelligence develops and eventually you learn about God and you turn your intelligence towards God so you become better in your life. That's my understanding. And if the intelligence is directed towards maya, towards illusion, the example is given that it's like having a chokidar, having a guard who's been bribed by the thieves. Right? Cause, because the intelligence is supposed to protect us from illusion, but if it's uh, turned towards maya, can you imagine if you have a chokidar who's... Uh, who's been bribed by the thieves and he has the keys to your house and everything and he, you know, one night he just opens everything, please come in <laughs> right? and take everything. Right? Not a very good uh, plan. And not very hard to do in India sometimes, bribe the chokidar, but that's another thing. <laughs> okay, let's move on. Uh, text 26. My dear lotus-eyed, kindly explain to me where you are coming from who you are and whose daughter you are. You appear very chaste. What is the purpose of you coming here? What are you trying to do? Please explain all this to me. My dear Lotus Eyed, who are those 11 strong bodyguards with you? And who are the 10 specific servants? Who are those women following the 10 servants? And who is the snake that is preceding you? So in the allegory, the uh, prophet writes that the 10 Strong servants of the mind are the five working senses and the five knowledge gathering senses. So quickly, what are those? Five working senses? Legs? Tongue? Tongue? No, no, not the tongue, I don't think. Is it in both? Okay, so anus, genitals, legs, arms, and what's the fifth one? Tongue, okay. And the five knowledge acquiring? Ears, eyes, nose, touch, okay. All right, 28. My dear beautiful girl, you are exactly like the goddess of fortune or the wife of Lord Shiva or the goddess of learning, the wife of Lord Brahma. Although you must be one of them, I see that you are loitering in the forest. Indeed, you are as silent as the great sages. Is it that, he's really in Maya. Is it that you are searching after your own husband? Whoever your husband may be, simply by understanding that you are so faithful to him, he will come to possess all opulences. I think you must be the goddess of fortune, but I do not see the lotus flower in your hand. Therefore, I am asking you where you have thrown that lotus. <laughs> Prophet writes in the purport, everyone thinks his intelligence is perfect. <laughs> hmm. We'll, I think we'll just carry on. Oh, greatly fortunate one, it appears that you are none of the women I have mentioned because I can see that your feet are touching the ground. But if you are some woman of this planet, you can, like the goddess of fortune, who, who accompanied by Lord Vishnu, increases the beauty of the Vaikuntha planets, also increase the beauty of the city by associating with me. You should understand that I am a great hero and a very powerful king on this planet. Certainly, your glancing upon me today has uh, very much agitated my mind. Your smile, which is full of shyness, 
but at the same time, lusty is agitating the most powerful Cupid within me. Therefore, our most beautiful, I ask you to be merciful to me. My dear girl, your face is so beautiful with your eye, nice eyebrows and eyes and with your bluish hair scattered about. I guess that's different than like uh, people who dye their hair like bright blue <laughs> and things like that in this year. In addition, your sweet, very sweet sounds are coming from your mouth. Nonetheless, you are so covered with shyness that you do not see me face to face. I therefore request you, my dear girl, to smile and kindly raise your head to see me. Prophet writes, the lover sees everything beautiful in the face of the beloved and thus becomes attracted. Let's continue. So now to continue, my dear king. When Paranjana became so attracted, so now he's telling, who's my dear king? Virginia Barhu. So now he's taking a step back for a second, right? My dear king, when Paranjana became so attracted and impatient to touch the girl and enjoy her, the girl also became attracted by his words and accepted his request by smiling. By this time, she was certainly attracted by the king. The girl said, O best of human beings, I do not know who has begotten me. I cannot speak to you perfectly about this, nor do I know the names of the origin of the associates with me. Prabhupada writes, he gets quite philosophical in the purport. He says, a living entity is ignorant of his origin. He does not know why this material world was created, why others are working in this material world, and what the ultimate source of this manifestation is. No one knows the answers to these questions, and this is called ignorance. By researching into the origin of life, important scientists are finding some chemical compositions or, sec or cellular combinations, but actually no one knows the original source of life within this material world. The phrase Brahma-jigyasa is used to indicate an inquisitiveness to know the original source of our existence in this material world. No philosopher, scientist, or politician actually knows where from we have come, why we are here struggling so hard for existence, and where we will go. Generally, people are of the opinion that we are here, all here by accident, uh, accidentally, and that as soon as these bodies are finished, all our dramatic activities will be finished, and we will become, as Prabhupada would say, jiro, as Bengali accent, zero. Such scientists and philosophers are impersonalists and voice. So it goes on like that to talk about this, uh, that we just don't know. We just don't know. I mean, no one, even even you know the person who finds a singularity or, you know, the. Uh, Right, whatever the, the, the latest, I don't keep up the latest, latest necessarily, but the, but you can't say for certain it's this or that. And they can, so they could turn to us and say, well, how do you know for certain? Right, well, you know, we, we could, uh, what can we say? It, it, we, we accept the authority of the Vedic literature and, and the, the, the uh, opinion of Krishna. So you say, well, I don't accept it. Okay. So that's all right. You accept and I don't accept. Uh, and then, then we would maybe turn to an interesting presentation that Srila Prabhupada makes that the, the science of Krishna consciousness. And as we've spoken before, scientific experiments have three phases. First one is hypothesis, right? What's the second? The experiment and conclusion, right? Or, yeah. So our observation and conclusion, right? Uh, and what the trick is 
that to become this kind of scientist, one actually has can't like do it with two test tubes or a you know large uh, <laughs> telescope or whatever, um, but one has to experiment on themselves, <laughs> and therefore in the uh, introduction to Bhagavad Gita, Prabhupada says that at least while you're reading the Gita, at least theoretically, accept Krishna as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Right? But we can't like show people in one sense. We can, we can present through logic and argument. right? But to actually have a person have that realization, it, 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 we, we understand that that doesn't happen uh, except through Krishna's mercy. Atashi Krishna Namadi. That the way to realize these statements of the Shastra, the way to realize Krishna, there's an art to it. And that's uh, taking shelter of Krishna's name, etc. All the practices of bhakti yoga. So that's why we, uh, we, when, we talk, when we're starting to talk in terms of science and things like that, we present things according to logic and reason. Uh, and not just, you know, here, chant this mantra. Some people may not accept that, right? But it's a reasonable explanation. It's not, you know, it's a reasonable explanation, the explanation of the scriptures. And then for those who actually practice Krishna consciousness, Krishna can reveal the the deeper and more convincing understandings. Does that make sense? But Prabhupada here, basic, very, very clearly in this purport, presents the problem. That no, you know, he would sometimes say that no one can say for certain, correct? So why don't you accept this this proposition? We say no, no, I don't accept that. And then we could say, you know, the the uh, uh, the logic of okay, well, what you're saying is, you know, uh, Princeton's a good college and Harvard's a good college and Yale's a good college, but you're not sure about any of them, so you won't go to any school. <laughs> So why not accept something? Why not give Krishna a try? I mean, really, in one sense, through logic and reasoning and saying that, then it's really up to the individual. But here, I think it's really great how this purport prophet has shown the problem. But actually, no one can knows the original source of life within this material world. Does anyone? So Lord Brahma says, Sarva Karna Karna. Krishna is the cause of all other causes. Ishwara Paramakrishna Satchit Ananda Vigraha Anadir Adir Govinda Sarvakarna Karma. But then he also says, you know, that it's only through bhakti. Govindam Adi Purusham Tamaham Pajami. I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord. Anything on this? Yes, Andy? As far as science, um, as Sadhguru, who's a yogi, like a mystic, but he's pointed out very Ooh. simply, Sadhguru. Okay. He's saying all these scientists are exploring outer space or always outside them. He said, our science is inner space. Right. And that's why it's different. And people have not spent enough time on it. But the whole Vedas, it was all, they, were, they didn't have science or test tubes or anything. It was all done through inner exploration. And so that's the science. It's a completely different science. It's a different approach. Yeah. Uh, Krishna would also, you know, Lord Brahma also says, Anta, what is it? 
Andantaratam Paramanu Janantarastam. So we, we, we studied inner, we studied Krishna as the smallest of the smallest and as the greatest of the greatest. And actually each Purana, and especially the Bhagavad Purana, but each Purana has an explanation of the cosmos as, as defining what a Purana has. So it also has that, um, that there as well. But yes, but, the, but like let's say, so Sukadeva Goswami in the fifth canto is explaining the universe, but it's all based on his, as you're saying, his uh, inner uh, Krishna consciousness that, that Krishna can reveal um, the cosmos to him. And through all this explosion of science and cell phones and everything, certain things never change. So some of these scientists uh, hate their wife or they kill somebody or they commit suicide. There's wars. These things never change. They're a constant background. No matter how far you look and get all the way to the Big Bang. But these other things amazingly never change. So why Humans is that? are humans. <laughs> humans are humans. And, and, and that's that, that, and that comes into play because we would say these things are relevations based on one's desire and one's purity. And it's not just uh, empiric and that's in the sense of, you know, just looking through the Hubble telescope. But it is quite amazing. I have a friend, a devotee friend, who doesn't have the Hubble telescope, but has, uh, he's shown me some pictures that are just amazing of seeing the universe. It's so vast. You know, you look at some of those, it's so vast, and you think, well, is there anything behind all this? But even if you go to, even with your naked eye, if you go to a very a remote area that doesn't have a lot of light on a, on a uh, new moon day, it's, it's mind-boggling. Some places, uh, some people who are really into taking pictures of the, you know, they go to places like the remote parts of Texas, near Big, Big Bend National Park, that area. And it's just, it's a feast for the eyes, unless it's cloudy, then you But even that's a very good analogy, right? The cloud is an excellent analogy, right? Because the cloud only, the cloud only covers our perception. It's only a few hundred or a few thousand feet high, but there's, there's this whole universe that's still there but just this little cloud's covering us. Yeah. Shall we continue? But it is nice that devotees, uh, in the, my friend uh, Brahmatirtabhu was really reviving the Bhaktivedanta Institute and, uh, and their work on all these different aspects of science. It has a lot of uh, devotees who have PhDs in astrophysics and things like this. Quantum, mechanics, quantum physics and stuff that they're coming up with all kinds of amazing things. It's very inspiring. Oh, great hero. Did we do this one? No. We only know... Did we do this one? No. no. Okay. We only know that we are existing in this place. We do not know what will come after. Indeed, we are so foolish that we do not care to understand who has created this beautiful place for our residence. Now, there's a real uh, instruction there. Right? That's kind of like... A, Prabhupada writes, this lack of Krishna consciousness is called ignorance. Everyone is born ignorant, he says. <laughs> My dear gentlemen, gentleman, all these men and women with me are known to, as my friends, and the snake 
who always remains awake, protects this city even during my sleeping hours. So much I know. I do not know anything beyond this. And Prabhupada writes, Paranjana inquired from the woman about those 11 men and their wives and the snake. The woman gave a brief description of them. She was obviously without knowledge of their surrounding, of her, wait, without full knowledge of her surrounding men and women and the snake. As stated before, the snake is the vital force of the living being. O killer of the enemy, uh, you have somehow or other come here. This is certainly great fortune to, for me. I wish all auspicious things for you. You have a great desire to satisfy your senses, and all my friends and I shall try our best in all respects to fulfill your desires. Oh, dear, my dear Lord, I have just arranged this city of nine gates for you so that you can have all kinds of sense gratification. You may live here for 100 years, and everything for your sense gratification will be supplied. So what is the city of nine gates? Body. The body. Right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. How can I expect to unite with others who are neither conversant with sex nor capable of knowing how to enjoy life while living or after death? Such foolish persons are like animals because they do not know the process of sense enjoyment in this life or the next, or death. Sorry. The woman continued, in this material world, a householder's life brings all kinds of happiness and religion, economic development, sense gratification, the beginning of children, sons and grandsons. After that, one may desire liberation as well as a material, material reputation. The householder can appreciate the results of sacrifices which enable him to gain promotion to superior planetary systems. All this material happiness is practically unknown to the transcendentalists. They cannot imagine such happiness. <laughs> and in the purport, Prabhupada says, in this verse, the woman is advancing pavriti marg. Marg means path, and pravriti means the path of sense enjoyment. And is discouraging the path of nivriti marg, or the path of bhakti, the path of not, of not trying to enjoy this world, but trying to give pleasure to Krishna. She clearly says that the yatis, the transcendentalists, who are concerned only with spiritual life, kaivalya, cannot imagine the happiness of Praviti Mark. Uh, I told this before, but uh, I, 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 I reminds me of when I was first in, living in India and traveling, I guess, second class. Oh, yeah, I, I can take that now even. It's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Traveling on the trains, second class through UP and places like that, especially UP and Bihar. And uh, I didn't know uh, Hindi at all, right? So every, you know, everyone's having their meals and talking. You know what it's like even for those of us who have traveled in trains in India. Everyone's talking and talking, right? Have <laughs> you know what you've traveled sometimes? Yeah. Not for you, probably went first class. I was going second class uh, unreserved, I think, at the time. But anyway, uh, <clears throat> so I didn't understand Hindi, so it was just like white noise to me. Right? And I could actually concentrate if I was reading the Bhagavad Gita or chanting because it just didn't make any sense. Right? So I think, so for, um, for a person who's not in God consciousness, devotees, you know, getting up early in the morning and doing puja to deities and, and, and uh, reading the Bhagavad Gita and chanting shlokas, like why would they want to do that? 
morning hours is so nice for sleeping. Right? And similarly, uh, so that was like, you know, but similarly for a devotee who's getting a higher taste in Krishna consciousness, Paramdristva, Krishna says in chapter 2, verse 59 of the Gita, for someone who's getting that Paramdristva, higher taste, then somebody wasting their time in, in, in you know, going to the bars and, you know, doing this and that and just trying to, you know, just trying to, it doesn't make any sense. It's like me and the Hindi. Didn't make any sense. Now, I, later I learned some Hindi so I could actually follow a conversation that I didn't travel by train anymore. No, <laughs> okay. but, uh, but that's, you know, so, so this Krishna says this in the 69th verse of the, of the second chapter, right? That what's day for the conditioned soul is night for the introspective sage and vice versa. So here she's saying, she's saying, man, you guys, are, you, you know, you, you spirituals, you're missing out on the nectar. Right? And the devotees thinking, oh my God, you're really missing out on the nectar. So who's right? Well, Krishna has an opinion, opinion about that. That the devotees right. And then, and then Prabhupada writes, in this age of Kali especially, people are not interested, no one is interested in spiritual advancement. Even though it is sometimes found that one may be interested in spiritual advancement, he is most likely to accept the bogus method of spiritual life being misguided by so many pretenders. So one has to also be careful of that, even if one is, has some sincerity. So any thoughts on this uh, day and night? What is that? Do I have the verse here? What verse number? What is night for all beings is the time. This is Krishna speaking. What is night for all beings is the time of awakening for the self-control, and the time of awakening for all beings is the night for the introspective sage. Okay, continue. Sure. All right. The woman continued. According to authorities, the household, their life is pleasing not only to oneself, but all the forefathers, demigods, great sages, saintly persons, and everyone else. A householder life is thus beneficial. And I just thought it was interesting, Prabhupada writes, uh, similarly, we are indebted to the general public. He's talking about the general indebtedness uh, for pol politics and sociology. And we are also indebted to animals like horses, cows, asses, dogs, and cats. Interesting. Anyway, his point is that there's so many obligations in this world and that all those obligations are served ultimately by uh, serving Krishna. But just as by pouring water on the root of the tree, all the branches and leaves are automatically uh, taken care of. Um, that doesn't mean we neglect the leaves and the, the branches, Right? Because when, you, when you're in a relationship with Krishna, then you're all naturally in a relationship with other human beings. And a matter of fact, I think it's a better relationship because it's not an exploitive one. Right? Just like uh, Vinodji has for so many years trying to help uh, with the mission of trying to clean up the Jamuna. Right? So if someone is actually God conscious, they wouldn't want to exploit this wonderful river by just pouring all the pollutants in it just to make more money, which is basically what happens, right? Right? But because 
everything's about me and mine. Janasya maho yam ahamma meti, thinking in terms of I and mine. And people, you know, people don't think about such terrible things as polluting a river. Uh, but when, so the point is that, so even something, let's just say, okay, let, let's forget that the Jamun is sacred. Let's just say it's a nice river. Any other river, Potomac, right? Although, uh, so, or whatever, some nice river. Uh, one who is God conscious, right, will also be conscious of, of things like that, of the, uh, of the, of the economy, of ecology, of, and especially of the well-being of other people. Because they'll say, this is my, these are my brothers and sisters. It's not like I have nothing to do with them. Right? So, it, so it's not, so sometimes we have this idea that if, we be, if someone is a sadhu or someone is very renounced, they, 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 they're focused on their spiritual practices that everyone else can kind of, I don't care about my kids, I don't care about my wife, I don't care. But actually one who's God conscious uh, increases one's care by focusing on Krishna. Yeah. Some thoughts on that? Yes. This verse and the previous verse reminds me of Daksha, who is a householder and who was happy with populating the world with the living beings and doing sacrifices, Vedic rituals, which was the previous verse was talking about. He is a typical householder. And, and he got carried away with that and he did not understand the real purpose behind those right. sacrifices, Vedic sacrifices and the purpose behind that. Yeah, yeah because we can, uh, by becoming Krishna conscious, one expands one's compassion. Our general thing is, you know, we, our family, Prabhupada even uses the word in the second hand, that we, we tend to orbit around our little family, you know, and a few cousins and this and that. But one uh, sees the, and cares, and at least has compassion for, or care for everyone, not just the ones that are related to this body. Not that they neglect the ones that are related to this body, but it expands. And that's where real compassion comes in. Any other thoughts? Yes, Jeeva. This is a very great point. But, you know, the devotee association and the six loving exchanges, that kind of like enhances us. And sometimes we still feel the need of coming out of just from our congregation. Coming out of what? what was coming out of the zone of our congregation. Uh, our orbit. Uh -huh. To Srila Prabhupada's moment. Uh -huh. right? We need to kind of like build that mindset or, you know, Maryland versus Virginia. <laughs> Those kind of things come in. And where does it come in from? So sometimes it's the materialist mindset that, you know, divides people. Yes. While the spiritual mindset unites people. Yes, well so that's, I'm, go ahead. So Sorry. one of the, uh, the Pandal program, the five-day Pandal program that Prabhupada ran, you know, when he, uh, devotees went to India first time, fifth day, there was a marriage ceremony between a gentleman from Sweden and a lady from Australia, both devotees. Uh -huh. Their marriage was going on. and. Then Prabhupada made the statement, this is United Nations. Uh, this right. is <laughs> true unity. Very good. Across the globe. Thank That's you. what we see. And, and, you know, this ties in also with, uh, with like, things like trying to clean the Jamun and things. Uh, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the 18th chapter, Krishna talks about, well, I'm, I'm going to focus on the difference between goodness and passion. Um, this is also part of my talk um, in uh, an hour and 15 minutes. 
Um, that knowledge by which one undivided spiritual nature is seen in all living entities, though they are divided into innumerable forms, should, un should be understood, uh, you should understand to be in the mode of goodness. So the mode of goodness makes us focus on commonalities. We're all in this together, right? And you don't think, well, I can pollute this river because it doesn't matter, it's going to flow down into Mexico afterwards anyway, right? like the Rio Grande or something like that. Right? Who cares about those people? Right? But the mode of passion, that knowledge by which one sees that in every different body there is a different type of living entity is in the mode of passion. So when you think of differences, like, oh, Mexicans, Americans, or this, or, you know, Montgomery County versus Fakir County, you know, or whatever, or this, or that, or always looking at the differences. And, and that means also focusing on your needs more than anyone else's, then you can, you can go pollute a river, you can go do anything. I mean, not anything. You know, you can, you can do things that, that are, you know, thinking about your needs first and other needs not even ever sometimes, right? So, it's, but it's, it's, so the, the analysis can be seen in the Bhagavad Gita of that. Shall we continue? We've got a few more minutes. My, oh, my dear hero, she says, who in this world will not accept a husband like you? You are famous, so magnanimous, so beautiful, and so easily gotten. <laughs> That's an interesting one. <laughs> oh, mighty armed, who in this world will not be attracted by your arms, which are just like the bodies of serpents? Remember, this is all an allegory, right? Yeah. Uh, actually, you relieve the distress of hum husbandless women like us, by your attractive smile and your aggressive mercy. We think that you are traveling on the surface of the earth just to benefit us only. Text 43. The great sage Narada said, My dear king, those two, the man and the woman, supporting one another through mutual understanding, entered that city and enjoyed life for 100 years. Many professional singers used to sing about the glories of King Pranjan and his glorious activities. When it was too hot in the summer, he used to enter a reservoir of water. He would surround himself with many women and enjoy their company. Of the nine gates in that city, seven were on the surface and two were subterranean, right? So the seven gates are, are from the head above and the other two are below. Of the, uh, a total of nine doors were constructed and these led to different places. All the gates were used by the city's governor. So now some more details about the body and the... Uh, my dear king, of the nine doors, five led towards the eastern side, one led towards the northern side, one led towards the southern side, and two led towards the western side. I shall, give, I shall try to give the names of these different doors. And Prophet writes, of the seven doors on the surface, namely the two eyes, two ears, one nostril, one mouth, five looked forward, etc. So, uh, the two gates named Kadyuta and Avirmukti were situated facing the eastern side, but they were constructed in one place. Through these two gates, the king used to go to the city of Vibrajita, accompanied by a friend whose name was Juman. And uh, the uh, Kadyuta and Avirmukti were the two, are the two eyes. Similarly, in the, eastern, in the east, there were two sets of gates known as Nalini 
and Nalini. And these were also constructed in one place. Through, those, through these gates, the king, accompanied by a friend named Avadhuta, used to go to the city of Sorabha. And the, uh, these Nalini and Nalini are the two nostrils in this, in this allegory. The fifth gate, situated on the eastern side, was named Mukya, or the chief. Through this gate, accompanied by his friends named Rasagya and Vipana, he used to visit two places named Bahudhana and Apana. And the mouth is the uh, chief or the most important gate, Prabhupada writes. The southern gate, Jai Sisi Gornitai Sitaram Lakshman Hanuman Shishi Gornitai Kijai. The southern gate of the city was known as Pitrihu. Pitrihu. Pitrihu, thank you. And through that gate, King Paranjana used to visit the city named Dakshina Panchala, Panchala, accompanied by his friend Shuddhadhara. And the right ear, is, Prabhupada writes, is used for karma kandiya or fruit of activities. So the allegory continues. On the northern side of the, uh, was the gate named as Devahu. Through, this, through that gate, King Paranjana used to go with his friend Shuddhadhara, to the place known as Uttara Panchala. <coughs> the two ears on the southern side uh, are situated on the northern side and southern side. On the western side was a gate called Asuri. Through that gate, King Paranjana used to go to the city of Gramaka, accompanied by his friend Durmada. And this is the genitals and the rectum. Another gate on the western side was known as uh, Niriti. Paranjana used to go through this gate to the place known as Vaisaha, Vaisaha, Vaisasa, <coughs> accompanied by his friend Lubdakha. Okay, continuing. Of the many inhabitants of this city, there are two persons named <coughs> Nirvak and Peshashkrit, these are tough ones. Although <laughs> King Paranjana was the ruler of citizens who possessed eyes, <coughs> he unfortunately used to associate with these blind men. Accompanied by them, he used to go here and there and perform various activities. Baba writes, this is a reference to the arms and legs of the living entity. <coughs> the two legs do not speak and they are blind. Sometimes he used to go to his private home with one of his chief servants, the mind, <coughs> who was named Bisuchina. At that time, illusion, satisfaction, and happiness used to be produced from his wife and children. Being thus entangled in different types of mental concoctions and engaged in fruitive activities, King Parunjana came completely under the control of material intelligence and was thus cheated. Indeed, he used to fulfill all the desires of his wife, the queen. When the king... Oh boy, we're almost, are we almost done with this? Yeah. Wow. We might finish this chapter. It'll be the first time in history we actually did what we set out to do. When the queen, when the queen drank liquor, King Paranjana also engaged in drinking. When the queen died, he used to dine with her. And when she chewed, King Paranjana used to chew along with her. 
When the queen sang, he also sang. Similarly, when the queen cried, he also cried. And when the queen laughed, he also laughed. When the queen talked loosely, he also talked loosely. And when the queen walked, the king walked behind her. When the queen would stand still, the king would also stand still. And when the queen would lie down in bed, he would also follow and lie down with her. When the queen sat, he would also sit. And when the queen heard something, he would follow her to hear the same thing. When the queen saw something, the king would also look at it. When the queen smelled something, the king would follow her to smell the same thing. When the queen touched something, the king would also touch it. And when the, and when the dear queen was lamenting, the poor king also had to follow in her in lamentation. In the same way, when the queen felt enjoyment, he also enjoyed it. And when the queen was satisfied, the king also felt satisfied. So this is all about the mind, right? The mind is, the prophet writes, the mind is the place where the self is situated and the mind is conducted by the intelligence. The living entity situated within the heart follows the intelligence. The intelligence is here depicted as a queen and the soul under mental control follows the material intelligence just as a king follows the queen, his wife. And finally, last few verses. The devotee whose heart has been completely cleansed by the, now he kind of brings it to Krishna consciousness, by the process of devotional service and who is favored by Bhakti Devi does not become bewildered by the external energy, which is just like a dark well. Being completely cleansed of all material contamination in this way, a devotee is able to understand very happily your name, fame, form, activities, etc. Oh, wait. Yeah. And two more verses? Wait. 162 now? My dear king, your universal, yeah? My dear king, your universal form consists of all... No, no. Oh. Where am I? Did I get... I'm on the wrong chapter. How did that happen? How did it skip chapters? I must have done something really weird. Yeah, all right. I was wondering, like, wait a second. We read this first two weeks ago. Did I, so I read the wrong verse before? Yeah. yeah, I thought so. I was like, what? It didn't go into Bhakti. Sorry. Okay. Now. Okay, 62. <laughs> I was reading like something about Bhakti Yoga. <laughs> In this way, King Paranjan was captivated by it. You were all so polite you didn't like correct me until I finished reading it. <laughs> In this way, King Paranjan was captivated by his nice wife, and was thus cheated. Indeed, he became cheated in his whole existence in the material world. Even against that poor, foolish king's desire, he remained under the control of his wife, just like a pet animal that dances according to the order of its master. So if we follow our mind instead of our spiritual, I mean, we follow our materially contaminated mind of intelligence, we can fall to the same traps as Purunjana.